All right, ladies, if you would gather your stuff, go through the double doors and take a left and go up to room 208. It is a children's choir night, so make sure that you do not steal any small children on your way. Gentlemen, when the ladies leave, we're going to move up from the back. We're going to make Art feel loved and welcomed so he's not all by himself. Yeah, Art. We love you, Art. <clears throat> so let's, uh, you guys... So you guys that are in the back, back, y'all go ahead and come on up. You can sit over here. You can sit in the middle. Don't worry. Wabi doesn't bite. Plenty, plenty of room over here. Martinez is handing out free Chick-fil-A. If you sit next to him. Gathrite's confused. You wanted to change spots? All right. I will hand it over to the Wabinator. Good evening, good evening. How are we doing? Good, good. This, I'm, I'm well. Thanks, Gresh. We're all in here nice and intimate. It's great to see you guys. Finally got rid of the ladies so we can talk, you know, we can talk frankly with one another. You know, just kind of just man to man, right? Good. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, it's appropriate that it's just us men because it's an especially uh, macho title. The title is uh, Paul Plays to Win. Paul Plays to Win. You're going to see why and you're going to see how. Who knows our theme of uh, 1 Corinthians? You guys certainly know it by now. Who can, who can give us our theme? Uh-oh. Yes, sir. Correction and condemnation. See, uh, this is an area, and this is a people who are very familiar to Paul, as you guys know. We're not going to spend a lot of time on background because you guys have heard a lot of this background. But I'm just going to cover a couple of things very quickly to give you uh, a mental picture of where we're going. Okay, so go in your mind right now. You're all, you know, geographically savvy. So go in your mind right now to where Greece is. You know, like think Italy, you know, like the boot, then go a little bit over further to the right. Okay, you got Greece in our mind. And then there's like a little island. It's not really an island, like right there. It's like the Peloponnese Island, right there next to Greece, between Greece and Italy. And Corinth is kind of right in the middle of that. So if you want to book a flight today, you can go to Athens, catch a bus, go to Corinth. And it's right there on the water. You could go there today if you want. A lot of these cities in the Bible you can't go to uh, nowadays, but uh, Corinth didn't like that. It's still out there, still available to you. So I recommend it for your honeymoon or some other nice getaway that you're looking forward to. But at the time back then, it was a very busy town. It was, a, it was this tropical place right there on the Mediterranean. Uh, a lot of different people. There's a lot of trade. So like think Roman Empire, a lot of Greeks, a lot of hustle and bustle. People are coming and going. Okay, they're buying, they're selling, and it's a very diverse place, uh, a very uh, opulent place. Kind of think uh, in terms of like maybe modern day, modern day South Florida, maybe Miami. Okay, so think of it like, kind of like Miami, but not just like Miami, think like South Beach, okay? And not just South Beach, but like South Beach, uh, you know, maybe during like spring break, 
Okay, then you've got kind of, and if that means nothing to you, it's supposed to paint a picture of a place that's pretty carnal, okay, very worldly, very materialistic. Apologies for my friends in South Beach or Florida generally, but that's the kind of place it is. And they're really into idolatry there. In fact, in the town of Corinth, they've got this big temple to uh, Epaphrodite, the goddess of love. And Justin told you guys already about how disgusting uh, that was with a thousand prostitutes. So they're really into very worldly, carnal, fleshy kind of pleasures in Corinth. It's that kind of place with temples. And they got temples on top of temples. Okay, they're just everywhere there. And it's a tropical place. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the setting that Paul is talking about. Now, what connects Paul to Corinth? You know, what, what, what's, why is Paul writing letters to Corinth? What's he care? A lot of cities in the world. Who knows? Who can tell me why Paul is talking to the people of Corinth? Oh, yeah, Adam. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Why, why is Paul reaching out to the people of Corinth? Oh, Jack, yeah, you had your hand up. Why, why is Paul reaching out to the fine people of Corinth? Correct and condemnation. Yeah, so he actually, did, who, did, did Paul evangelize the people of Corinth? Yes, he did. He went there. It was his second missionary journey. He went there. He, he founded the church there. He shared the gospel there. So these are his people. He knows this area. He knows these people. And so he sent this letter back to them because they heard the gospel from him. They received the gospel. Many of them were baptized into the faith. And so these are like his spiritual children. So he sends a letter back once he's gone, checking on them, correcting them. Hey, setting them straight on what's going on there because he's hearing about things and he knows the kind of community that it is. And so what we've been reading so far, you guys remember last week and the week before that, we talked about, you know, the ladies aren't here. We talked about, hey, we talked about men's rights in marriage and you can deprive yourself for a while. You guys remember all that? Okay, and then we t- that was chapter 7 and then we got to chapter 8. And what did we talk about in chapter 8? You guys remember that? I'll give you a hint. It was about idolatry and food. What what were we talking about last week in chapter 8? Yeah. Can they eat the food sacrificed to idols? It might, might not be a big deal to you and me, but back then that's a pretty big issue because... Paul's primarily concerned not so much about food, but he's concerned about Christian liberty. Christian liberty. What do I mean by that? Who knows what I mean by Christian liberty? Yes, sir. Yeah, great answer. The the Bible doesn't specifically tell you if it's right or wrong. And so if the Bible doesn't tell you specifically, hey, this is right versus that, if it doesn't say, what does that mean for you? It's up to you and your conscience. It's a great answer. It's a matter of conscience because the Bible does not give you a specific directive of how you have to live, so you therefore have liberty. Who can give me examples of areas in which you have Christian liberty. Yeah. Yeah, well, if your friend doesn't eat meat, for example, I mean, like, imagine that. But if they don't eat meat, that's maybe a, that, that, then, you know, the Bible doesn't really teach us on that. Yeah, J.D., what do you have? Yeah, go, go ahead. I can, uh, we can all hear you. Go ahead. What, Christian liberty, give me an example. 
what you wear. Yeah, I mean, I decided to dress like this. You guys decided to dress like, like the Bible doesn't tell me what I need to wear. And it doesn't tell you what. So you've got freedom subject to your conscience of what you want to wear. Any other examples? Pete, what do you got? Okay, so if you, if you play video games or not, right, you've got, you, you've got Christian liberty to whether you want to play video games. Yeah. Yeah, you wake up in the morning, feel like reading, you know, James. Or like, oh, maybe I'll read 1 Corinthians. I'll, I'll fact check Wabi, you know. So you've got Christian liberty in that way. Anything else before we move on? Any other areas of Christian liberty? Yeah. Consumption of alcohol. Interesting, interesting. Consumption of alcohol. So what do you mean? Okay, so is it okay to drink at all? So, for example, if you wanted to go after this and maybe go, go pick up some Whataburger and a six-pack, would, would that be a matter of Christian liberty for you? It's not legally allowed. So would that be a matter of Christian liberty? For you, no. But, but, but you know, I, surprisingly, I know it's hard to believe, I am over 21. So what about, what, what, I know, I know, I know. It's, believe it or not, but what about for me? It's a matter of conscience. Right. It's a matter of conscience. And, and so these are different ways. Like, you don't have liberty to do that. You're a Christian liberty because it's against the law. And the law said you shouldn't do that, so you shouldn't do that. Uh, but for me, it's a matter of uh, conscience. What about, uh, what about dating? Is that a matter of Christian liberty? Oh, well, Logan's not so sure. It's di- dating is different than not being able to get a date. Like, I'm just saying, like, if you could get a date, <laughs> if you could get a date, is it a matter of Christian liberty? What about, um, what about what kind of music you listen to? Is that a matter of Christian liberty? It's not. Why not? Okay, so we'll agree that the, some things you just probably shouldn't listen to, period. I mean, there's some things this is obviously... Right, well, certain, uh, on the, on the uh, extremes, it's, it's maybe clear... But then, but for the most part, it's a matter of Christian liberty. Okay. Social media, what do you guys think? Is that a matter of Christian liberty? Should you be on Snap? Should you be on TikTok? Should you be on, what, what do you think? I mean, uh, what, should you be on TikTok? Uh, a lot of murmuring. If, if, if being on TikTok is a matter of Christian liberty, raise your hand. I'm not voting. It is a matter of Christian liberty. Okay. So um, how, how about, how about Snap? Is it different for Snapchat? Is it different for Instagram? It is different for Snap. Why? It's just different. Okay. So these are, these are, these are matters of Christian liberty that we have to, that you pray about that, that, that is subject to your, that is subject to your conscience. And the reason we're talking about it is because Paul says you have to be very careful in your exercise of Christian liberty. And in Corinth in particular, if you're thinking about it the way I'd like for you to think about it, like South Beach, spring break, that kind of environment, and you're a believer, Paul is saying you have to be quite careful. And this, of course, is a concern uniquely for Christians. Like if you're not a believer, then he's not really talking to you. He's talking to the concern for how believers act in connection with unbelievers. How are believers interacting with, with weaker believers or young believers? And what is their witness? And, and, and it's a very clear contrast that he sets up in chapter 8. What you guys heard last time. 
Verse, uh, verse 2, what was it? Knowledge, what? You guys remember the verse? Knowledge puffs up, but love, huh? Builds up. And so he's drawing a contrast there. Knowledge puffs up. It, can, it makes you arrogant. It makes you egotistical. I know so much. Look at me. Look at everything I know. I, I have so much knowledge about the gospel. I have so much knowledge about the Bible. I have so much knowledge about the truth. And that's what he's saying. Knowledge puffs up. Makes you feel like you're important. But he says love builds up. So that's, that's the contrast that Paul is drawing that he wants people to be very careful and, and stay very mindful of because he wants you to be careful. Are, are, you, are you growing in knowledge but not in love? Because as you grow in your faith and you grow in knowledge, is, do you have a love for the other people so that you are building them up? Or are you so concerned with what your knowledge allows you to do that, you're, that you don't con- concern yourself on the, about the impact that your liberty, liberty has on others? So he says, we, pos- we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So we may have knowledge, but how do you implement that knowledge? Do you know how to use your knowledge to advance the gospel? He's, it's like he's saying, is your brain getting bigger than your heart? And that's a really important question because, you know, I've been around a lot of groups. I've not been around a group that has a Bible quizzing contest. I have not been around a group that takes the memorization of the Bible as seriously as this group. And it's not about me, but you will not go to any church anywhere where they're doing Leviticus in preschool. They're not doing Leviticus anywhere nowadays. You guys were learning that when you were four years old. So you all already in this young season of life know more and have more knowledge than the vast, vast majority of the inhabitants of planet Earth. So it's an important question when you think of Am I growing in knowledge but not in love? Because Paul's point is the only reason you've got knowledge is to advance the gospel, to express love, to be mindful of the others. So may, keep that framework close in mind as we, as, we, as we move along. It's so important to him. You know, pretty soon he, he explains, he lays it all out. A few chapters later, in, in this same letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13. He didn't write that for weddings. He wrote that for, for us. What did he say in chapter 13? Though you may have, though you could speak in tongues, prophesy all mysteries, you have all knowledge, you have faith to move mountains, but you have no love, what are you? You have nothing. You've gained nothing. So, so the overlay for what he is talking about, when you think about your Christian liberty, you must think in terms of love for others, being mindful of others. So to recap, in chapter 8, he was talking about food sacrificed to idols. He, he's like, remember, he said there's no such thing as idols. We all know that. So it's not like they're actually sacrificed to anything. So his point is, but, but you know, you got to be careful because eating it could cause people to stumble. So you have to be mindful. You have to show love. If eating meat causes one to stumble, he says, I'll never eat meat again. What about us? If being on social media causes one to stumble, will you get off social media forever? If, if 
going to a certain place causes somebody to stumble, will you never go there again? If listening to certain music causes somebody to stumble, will you forsake that music? Are you willing to accommodate and adjust to be mindful, to express love for others? Why does Paul do it? Because of the gospel. I don't go there because of the, the gospel. I do go there because of the gospel. Well, this last week, you know, you had long hair. Well, I had it long because of the gospel. Then you shaved your head. Well, I shaved it for the gospel. It looks like you're eating meat. Well, I eat meat because it helps me get with these people and advance the gospel. Well, I say here, you're not eating meat. Well, I don't eat meat with these people because, you know, i got to advance the gospel. they gotta, I got to connect with them. For Paul, it's about advancing the gospel. And to do that, there's no rights that he claims for himself that are so, so, so valuable to him that he so covets that he's got to cling to. So, so what you saw in chapter 8, chapter 7, that was Paul talking about, about the believers. These are your Christian liberties. Exercise them with care. Because if you're going to eat the meat to idols, I mean, we all know, hey, you know, we're fellow believers. We know that's not really like, you know, sacrifice anything. It's all just made up. They're Epaphrodite and they're, they're Poseidon. It's all just make-believe. We all know that. But he's saying if you go eat it, then, you know, they might stumble. So forget about it and just be sensitive. And he's giving them the application for them, okay? And then you get to chapter 9 and he turns it on himself. So when we go to chapter 9, verses 1 to 27, which is what we're going to cover today, he's talking about, I told you all how I want you all to, to apply your liberty. Well, let me tell you about what's going on with me. This is all his personal application. So verses 1 and 2, the first point, you got Paul's position. Paul's position. I'm going to read it for you. Please read along verses 1 and 2, chapter 9. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verses 1 and 2. These are all rhetorical questions, of course. You guys know what a rhetorical question is. As a, I mean, as a, you don't need an answer. Like the, the answer is implied, okay? And the answer is obvious. These are all reminders. These are statements dressed up as questions. His point is, hey, I'm free. I, I am an apostle. He's not puffing himself up. He's reminding them, uh, hey, I, I have seen these eyes. They've actually seen the risen Lord Jesus. So that is who I am. That is my role. I've seen the Lord Jesus. And he said, you know, other people are accusing him, questioning his apostleship. Uh, but, but I shared the gospel with you all. You received the Holy Spirit through my ministry. And you all are the seal of my apostleship because the proof is in the pudding. I mean, it's you. You all know that I'm an apostle. And you all know because the Holy Spirit has indwelled your life. You have converted. You have accepted the faith. And you live according to uh, uh, the directors of the Lord Jesus. And so you all are my evidence that I'm an apostle. And so you know that in light of all this, in light of all uh, of that position, in light of Paul's position, he goes on and he talks about his rights. So that's his position. You know, the leader of the church, one of the few apostles, having seen the risen Lord, sharing the gospel with them, leading to the repentance and faith. He says, okay, that's who I am. Let's look at my rights. 
Point number two, Paul's rights. Verses 3 to 14. I'm going to read this for us. Please follow along. My defense to those who examine me is this. We do not have a right to eat and drink. Oh, wait, sorry. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? So these are his, these are his rights. He's saying, you, you want to investigate me? You want to cross-examine me? You want to take a look in at, at me? Look, I've got the right to eat and drink. I've got the right to get married. He said, but you know, notice he says, I have, a, I have the right to take along a believing wife. Uh, pay, pay close attention. He doesn't have a right to take along just any old wife. He's, it's got to be a believing wife, right? So fellas, you know, take note of that. You know, he's got freedom in a framework. This is not just do anything you want. This is freedom in the framework of the gospel. Was, Samson was free to take a wife. He just wasn't supposed to go down to Timnah. Right? The, the Israelites were free to take wives, but they weren't supposed to intermarry with unbelievers. Solomon was free to take a wife, but he wasn't supposed to take a thousand concubines. So we're free, you're free to, Paul's saying, I'm free to take a believing wife, just like the others, including Cephas, the brothers of the Lord. He's got a right to get paid. He's got a right to get paid. Luke chapter 10, verse 7, the Lord Jesus, when he was sending out the 72 from his own lips, he told them, the laborer deserves his wages, and he said that they had the right to be paid from the work of the gospel. That was a directive from the Lord. And so Paul's saying, I have that right. My work is the work of the gospel. Is this not the work of the gospel that, that I'm doing? He says, I have that right. I have the right of all these other apostles. He, 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 he uses the references to a soldier, a farmer, a shepherd. They're all supported by the labor. You know, when, when, when you raise an army or when... Um, you know, the U.S. military, if you ever go serve, you ever go want to uh, sign up, go enlist, you're not going to have to go buy your uniform. You're not going to run down to Walmart and pick up an AR and some rounds, okay? That's not how it works. It, you know, you don't have to go procure a jet somewhere, okay? Oh, I want to fly jets. Let me see where I can go find a jet, you know? Like, no, that's not how it works. If you just go and the, the, they, they take care of the rest and they provide that, you don't pay for those things for yourself. And the, the shepherd is supported by his labor. The farmer works the land. He, has, he benefits from that. So that's Paul's point. Hey, listen, I get to, I get to reap from what I sow. You guys work. I, was, I, I don't see Sam's probably working right now. I don't see Sam. He's probably over at uh, In-N-Out. He told me he works at In-N-Out because it's a California company. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, and they got better benefits coming out of California. It's like, <laughs> smart guy. You guys all work, anybody, you, you work at Chick-fil-A, right? I love Chick-fil-A. Uh, do you work there because you love their mission? Really? You love the culture, okay. So you just go for the culture? For the most part? Okay. Do, do they pay you? They do. Well, okay, it turns out you get paid. Well, imagine that. Now, if they decided tomorrow they're not going to pay you anymore, would you still go for the culture? On occasion, yeah, that's called that's that, that's called just going going like I go. We go get food, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, we um, we 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 do these things to get paid. 
Now, the work of the gospel is a little different. It's perfectly fine and appropriate. Paul has claimed all these things. It's right, you know, these are my rights, just like the rights of the other apostles. Like, you know, uh, Justin is paid by the church. If, if, if the church said, you know what, we're not going to pay you anymore because this is such important work, you'd probably do it for free. And Justin's like, I, I probably would, but I got a mortgage, I got all these bills, so I'm going to go coach, I'm going to go coach at Byron Nelson. Okay, well, you know, go coach at Byron Nelson because he's got bills to pay. But then, you know, on a Wednesday, you know, we're all going to be here. On Sunday, we're going to be here. And then you got outposts to plan and you got camps to get away. You got to go, you know, Missouri. That thing doesn't plan itself. And you got to have buses to cancel on you. So you got a lot of stuff you got to do. I mean, this stuff doesn't happen on its own. And you're going to say, hey, Justin, what about all that stuff? He's like, well, I got to, I'm coaching up Byron Nelson. We might beat Southlake. You know, who knows? We, you know, miracles happen. Well, I, I'm busy. I got to work over here. Oh, well, no, we, we would rather you be here. So Justin is paid to free himself up from those concerns of mortgages and, you know, bills and all that, so that he can devote his full time to the gospel, to advancing the gospel. You know what always amazes me? He can stand here and he can, he, Justin could get, he could tell every, this isn't about Justin, but he, he could tell everyone, he knows everyone, everyone of your names, everybody in here. You bring the girls in here, he knows all their names. You go over to the middle school, got 100 kids in there. He knows all their names. He knows all their siblings. And it's funny to me because sometimes like they'll be like twins together and he's like, oh, I don't know, which twin is it? You know why? He's not some name buff, but he's, he's connecting. Why? He's con- to advance the gospel. People love to hear their name said. And so he says your name because he, he wants to show that he loves you so he can advance the gospel. He doesn't have to know everybody's name. Tom, Tom doesn't, I mean, if Tom is like, hey, Tom, you know what, it's been a good run, but we're going to go ahead. We're not going to save a little money. And so, okay, well, he's going to go be a lawyer. I think he'd be a great lawyer. I think that's maybe his second calling. Um, and he's going to go be a lawyer now. Okay, great. Um, but, you know, hey, Sunday, I gotta, I'm looking forward. I need, I need 100 minutes of, I mean, 50 minutes of real content there, Tom. And then you got the evening, too, and I might, I'm probably going to need some uh, counseling. I need a lot of counseling. And so I'm going to need you around for all that. But Tom, well, he's now he's busy. You don't have time for all that. Oh, well, he's got it. So the church says, we don't want you distracted. We, we want you freed up to devote all of your time, all of your talent, all of your energy to advancing the gospel in this group and beyond. So like Paul, as Jesus said, they're paid from the work of the gospel. That's Paul's right. Now, verses, uh, verse 8, next point, he's saying, I, cl- I could claim that too. Paul's saying, I could claim it. Those are my rights. He goes on, he says, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher ought to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right. We did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? 
So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. That's, those are verses 8 uh, to 14. I mean, Paul is just, he's, he's walking right through it. I'm not talking about human judgment. I'm not justifying this based on human judgment. I have a right to earn a living. Others uh, 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 earned uh, a, a right that way. But Paul, he earns a living as a tent maker. Right? They don't pay him. He doesn't go to a, pl- a place. And they don't support his ministry financially. He supported himself as a tent maker. But he cites the law of Moses to say, hey, it's okay, if, uh, even according to Moses. Deuteronomy 25 is what he's talking about. You don't, you don't cover the ox's mouth when he's threshing so that it can, you know. You ever been horseback riding You're and the, thing, the horse was constantly pulling on the reins so he could bend over and eat grass? You guys ever had that happen? Am I only a person ever? You guys have been horseback riding? Yeah, the horse wants to eat the grass. And then they're like the person, the little trail master or whatever, is like, hey, pull up on the rain. He just wants to eat. Okay, so, so that is like the, hor- the, the ox is threshing. He's eating as he works. And that's the point that Paul is making. You don't prevent that. You let them eat as they work. He says the law of Moses approves of that. The people who worked in the temple did that. So his point is there's a long history and a common practice of people being supported by the advancement, by the work of the Lord. If you sow spiritual things, you can reap material things. Even Jesus said that, and Paul refers to Jesus uh, providing that directive. And Paul actually calls him out. He's like, you're supporting other people in their ministry of the gospel. I'm the one who evangelized this city that you're supporting other people, and you're happy to do it. So if I wanted to claim that right, like, why would that be a problem? You're doing it for others. So why, why not Paul? Why not Paul? So remember, Paul, remember verse 8, or chapter 8, he said, Beware, you know, be very mindful of your level of knowledge and your level of love. That's the, that's the paradigm. That's the lens. Are you growing in knowledge and not in love? Are you growing in love? And so Paul says, remember, he said, that's who I am and those are my rights. Uh, And he told them, hey, these are your rights. But remember, he told them, don't cling to all your rights. Be concerned about the people living around you. Don't don't, um, overdo it with your liberties to other people's detriment. And so then what does he say? So those are my rights. And what does he do with them? So the third point is Paul's motive. So you heard about his position, you heard about his rights, let's hear about his motive. This is verses 15 to 18. What does he say? But I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things so that it will make me, so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have a man, than any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So that's his motive. He gives up these rights. It's in a unique time because people are coming and they're trying to discredit his ministry. They're trying to discredit his apostleship. And he wants to be sure there's no question about his motives. You ever do something, try to do something nice for somebody? Uh, like, like, for example, I don't know, maybe, maybe you, you make your bed, you clean your room, you do your homework without your parents asking, whatever. You do the right thing. You know, you go out of your way, you clean the kitchen, or you empty the dishwasher, whatever. You do something good. 
And your mom's like, oh. you, are you about to ask me about that sleepover? Is that what's going on? You ever have that happen? Is, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, no, I was trying. I mean, maybe you were just trying to get to the sleepover question. But, but sometimes you just, if you're just doing it because, you know, you're, 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 uh, you're trying to do the right thing. And then somebody's like, oh, did your small group leader tell you you have to do that? And it's like, well, no, I was just trying to do the right thing, you know. And so it's like your motives are being questioned. And it's kind of defeating. So Paul's point is nobody's going to question my motives as to why I'm coming to the city to share the gospel. I'm not trying to just make more money. I'm not trying to advance any of my own interests. I'm not claiming any of my rights. All these rights that all the apostles claim, I claim none of them. Okay, so don't question me as to why I'm here. I am here for the sole reason of proclaiming the gospel, not to get paid, not to make money. That is the only reason. He wants to avoid any risk. He don't want his boast to be an empty uh, boast. He wants it clear. For example, you know, uh, he, he uh, I, I was actually, I was talking to somebody and they had a new, uh, they had like a new case or whatever, uh, a client. And, you know, I was saying, hey, uh, I'd really love to, uh, love to work on this thing for you guys. Really important, blah, blah, blah. Pitching, you know, I'm selling sales, right? Okay, hey, get, get, get this work. And so they're, uh, one of their senior guys is like, oh, really, it means a lot to you, huh? I was like, yeah, it means a lot to me. He's like, oh, really? Well, would you do it for free? I was like, um, no, I would not. So it was like he called me out. He's like, he knew my motives were, you know, to make money, of course. No lawyer should help him do it free. But the point is simply the motives matter. The, and Paul wants it to be crystal clear what his motives are. And it's to advance the gospel and only to advance the gospel. No confusion, no gain, no distraction, no hindrance. That is his motive. For, for your fourth point is Paul's choice. What is his choice? Now remember, he's, this is his personal application as to what he's been instructing to them as to how they handle their liberty. He says, I have all the freedom. Right? This is verses uh, 19 to 23. What's he do with all the freedom that he's got? For though I am free from all men, I have made my safe, uh, myself a slave to all that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I may win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul wants to win. He's free from all men. No one's over him. He's got no boss. He's got no uh, 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 supervisor. He's got no manager. He's got no director. He, he is free to pursue and to live so long as he lives under the gospel and the law of Christ. His only limitation in any manner whatsoever is living under the law of Christ. He is free. That he, that's the most free way to live. You know, he doesn't find it more free to live under sin. Sometimes young people get this misperception that living the Christian life is somehow limiting. You guys ever hear that? Well, you know, I've become a Christian. I'm going to do that later in life because it's so boring right now. 
There's so much fun stuff, crazy stuff I want to do. I want to go, you know, I want to go to Vegas. And I want to go, you know, I want to do all these. You guys, you ever hear that from people? You ever get that sense? Paul's point is that's not freedom. That is not uh, how you want to live. That's the most limited, imprisoned, restricted life. That life's full of pain, regret, turmoil. The wages of sin is death, and that life is full of death. It maybe feels free, seems free, but thank you, sir. Oh, good? You good? All right. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. So, um, as we were saying, so Paul, in Paul's freedom, in Paul's freedom, he, he has made himself a slave to all for the advancement of the gospel. But let me ask you, what is your, what is your, what is the state of your freedom? Do you enjoy the freedom that Paul talks about? He fears no man. He, he, there's no man above him. He is free to live any way he wants so long as it's under the law of God in Christ. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus said he came to proclaim freedom to the oppressed. Is, is that you? Have you received that freedom from Christ? We're called to live that free life, free from the burdens and the impact, the consequence of a sinful life. So that we can identify with Paul, so that we can so that we can have that same joy, that same that same identity in Christ. In Romans eight two, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Or do we enjoy the same freedom that Paul talks about? Free from worrying about our future. You know, at this age, there's a lot of time and energy spent thinking about your future especially as you get to the end of, you know, being in high school. You're like, what am I going to do next? And there's great joy and freedom in knowing the assurance that you have a Father, a perfect Father in heaven, who provides, who provides everything, who didn't withhold his own son. You know, you could, you could claim the promises of, uh, in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You get to be in Christ. Do we claim that freedom? Is that our freedom? Is that our experience? Free from, 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 from not knowing what is our purpose. Why are we here? Freedom from all of those doubts, all of those concerns, and freedom in Christ. That is real freedom. Paul says, I am free from all men to live without regard to the concerns of others, subject only to the law of Christ. Despite that, he makes himself a slave to all. Why? Why does Paul make himself a slave to all? So he can win more. He, he identifies with all to share the gospel in a way that they understand. I was telling you, you know, why does Justin try to connect with you? Because so, you'll, so, so, so he has a better position so that you can receive the gospel. It's all about promoting the gospel. Everything that you do here, everything that you experience in the youth group, fr from the trips to the events, to small group, everything is carefully thought out for the advancement of the gospel. This isn't like, uh, you know, there's no special affinity for outposts. I mean, it, it, it's not like that's what we assemble for, but we do those things for the advancement of the gospel. So Paul says, to the Jew, he becomes a Jew. To the weak, he becomes weak. He, he wants to identify with all people so that he can have a connection to share the gospel. 
He wants to eliminate any barriers, any hindrances. That's his only purpose. You know, he's adaptable. Think about that, the adaptability. Paul is adaptable to his situation, to the people around him, so that he can promote the gospel, not just for any old reason. You know, there's certain situations where you got to adapt. You don't have a choice. Like I was in, when I was in, um, I was in London, you got to be adaptable. If you're not in that adaptable in London, when you try to cross the street, you look the wrong way and you get hit by a bus. I was standing right there and about to go across the street. And I looked the wrong way. And, and the, <laughs> the car's coming from the opposite direction. Why? Because they're driving on the wrong side of the road. You got to adapt, otherwise you're going to get yourself crushed. They even got little things on the street to try to help people who have a hard time adapting. So you, there are certain situations where you have to be adaptable. And Paul's point is, if you, I long to be adaptable to advance the gospel. I'm eager to adapt. How adaptable are we? I'll tell you, as you get older, it's harder to be adaptable. So if you're not adaptable now, I got bad news, it's not going to get easier. How adaptable are you? Um... If you're a homeschooled kid, can you become like a public school kid to connect with a public school kid? Whatever that means to you. I mean, it probably has some meaning. I don't. If you're a, if you're a public school kid, can you be adaptable to get along with homeschool kids for the advancement of the gospel? Or is that just like, whoa, no, this is a deep divide. This is <laughs> no way. I got to sit on my row with my people and that's about as adaptable. I think i got to move up a row, fine, back a row, good. But that's what I'll adapt for. we got to be adaptable. And I mean, if you can't adapt in this little uh, ecosystem, you know, then forget it claiming you're adaptable. You're not like Paul. I mean, you may be great, but you're not like Paul. Because Paul, if it were Paul, Paul would say, to a homeschooler, I'm a homeschooler. To a, to a private school kid, I'm a private school kid. To an athlete, I'm an athlete. To a band kid, I march all day long. You know, to the artist, I'm an artist. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. I will do what I got to do to advance the gospel. Like, who am I, Paul says. He doesn't, he's not preoccupied with these things. His identity is found in Christ. You know, it's real easy when his, his identity, what? I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That's Paul. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the life, so the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul's not concerned with like, well, what is Paul about today? Paul's concerned with identifying with those around him for the advancement of the gospel. And quickly, Paul's goal. Point five, Paul's goal. Paul's goal is to win. That is Paul's goal. Verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do, do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without sin. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Uh, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So in this land of Corinth, in this little town, uh, there's a really big uh, sporting event. It's kind of like the Olympics. It's called the Ithmian Games because of kind of the area that it's in. And kind of think about it like Olympics. It was every two years, and it was a really big deal. And the whole, it was like a music festival and a big, huge sporting competition. And uh, it was dedicated to Poseidon. 
and they would all train, and the very best of the very best of the very best would go and compete in these games. And so Paul is, is using this analogy to, to ensure that they understand what he's talking about, because this was a very big deal to them. So right here, you see Paul, like he says, hey, to the, to the weak, I become weak. Well, to somebody who really loves the Ithmian games, I preach, you know, with analogies that relate to the Ithmian games. Like he's not so, you know, doctrinaire that he's got to like, it's all, no, he's like, he wants you to understand what he's saying. So, so he is saying, do you get it? You see how people uh, train their bodies, hours and hours of preparation, self-control, discipline, all of the rigor, all of the countless uh, days and effort spent training to do what? To go get a wreath, to go get a medal. At this stage in your life, you probably have more medals already, like stuck away in a, in a, in a, in a closet somewhere. You don't even care anymore. Trophies, you've probably been getting trophies since you were three years old. Who cares about that stuff? Paul's saying that you, that you guys are killing yourself for all of these worldly trophies and these little medals that don't amount to anything. How do you train and how do you run for the permanence of the eternal, uh, the eternal benefit and the eternal reward, a reward that does not fade? So however, whatever it is that you're doing, you all know how hard you work at it, whether you're a basketball player, whether you're in, whether you're whatever sport you're in, whatever musical thing you're into, whatever it is, you know, you're all pouring your heart into it. School, you guys work harder than any group of kids ever. How do you work when it comes to advancing the gospel? Paul's saying, I run on purpose. I don't box to beat the air. You know, to compete, he uses the word to compete. That word means to agonize. You know, if you go see Jack Max out, it would look like total agony. I mean, his eyes would be popping out of his head. His face would be red. He'd be shaking. I mean, it'd be total agony. And that's the word he uses, compete. We compete to win. And he's saying, and what are you winning? And what are you competing for? So I ask you, what are you self-controlled about? What are you competing to win for? What are you pouring your life into? What are you agonizing over? Is it a perishable metal? Is it something that's here today and gone tomorrow? Let me, let me uh, give you a few questions. Write this down. You can discuss it in your small group. First question I want you to consider is, do you have more knowledge than you have love? Do you have more knowledge than you have love? Second question I want you to consider is, um, what rights are you willing to forego to advance the gospel? Are you willing to give up any of your rights, any of your claims, any of your comforts to advance the gospel? Third question I'd like for you to consider is how adaptable are you? If you come every week and everything and talk to the same people and we sit with the same people, if there's people in this youth group you've never talked to, then, you know, that's fine, but just don't say you're adaptable. You can't say it. Like you're, you're barred from saying you're adaptable. Connect with other people. Be adaptable. It'll serve you well in life. Last question. How's your training? How's your training? Are you training hard? Who are you training with? 
Are you agonizing over the things that are worthy of your effort? Or are we just agonizing over things that are totally perishable? Let's pray together. Dear Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to know you. Thank you for giving us freedom. I pray you'd increase our love and devote us to uh, being adaptable for your purposes to advance uh, your gospel so that more would come to know you. Show us how to win people uh, to the gospel, Lord God, through your power and presence and grace. In your name we pray. Amen.